Small Cap Research, and today I'm on the CEO Money Show with uh, Tony DeTono. He is the CEO of 10X Therapeutics, and 10X is developing uh, the calcium sensitizer levosimindin for pulmonary hypertension, and they recently started enrolling a phase two trial. Tony, welcome to CEO Money. Thank you, John. Thank you for having us today. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, so you began as CEO in 2018, uh, last year when the company was starting to launch its phase two, um, uh, phase two trial for Levis Amendment. Uh, and you're previously on the board of directors. Tell us a little bit more about your background and what you hope to achieve uh, over the next few years at 10X. Yeah, I have worked in big and small uh, biopharma companies over the years. Uh, and along with my partner, Michael Jepson, who's the president and CFO of the company, our goal is to build a, a significant presence in the cardiopulmonary marketplace. Okay. Uh, so you, um, you have a lead candidate called Levislamindin, and uh, you're pursuing an indication in pulmonary hypertension, and it's actually a, a specific type of pulmonary hypertension. Uh, it's for those with heart failure uh, with preserved ejection fraction, which is called, uh, just for everyone listening or watching, uh, PH-HEFPEF. Uh, and this drug is actually approved in Europe uh, for a different indication. Um, and you're working on getting it approved here in the United States. Uh, can you share some history of the drug and, and what do you hope to achieve uh, with, the, with the development uh, project that you're working on? Sure. So levosimendin is actually uh, on the market in uh, 60 countries around the world. It, it's mostly approved for acute decompensated heart failure. Um, it has been used in over a million and a half patients uh, since its uh, marketing uh, initiation. Uh, and our goal is to enroll uh, patients in this phase two trial that we that we designed uh, and you know have a a readout in early 2020. Okay, that's that's just next year. Um, just next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, one of the interesting things is, is how the drug works. It actually, uh, based on my reading of your materials, have it has a triple mechanism of action. There's three different ways it actually can help with pulmonary hypertension. Uh, can you describe those three uh, three approaches that it uses, or three three components to its mechanism of action, and and how it actually helps solve? pulmonary hypertension? Sure. So levosimendin, uh, there's actually a poster that's behind me, which you, which you can't see, but it, it, it is unique. It, it's a, a calcium sensitizer. And why that's important is it helps the heart muscle contract and relax more completely. It's also a vasodilator, which obviously opens the vessel and reduces pressure. And it does have a, a unique, uh, mode of action in the mitochondria, which helps in preventing ischemia. So it's a very unique mechanism of action. 
Okay, thanks for that that description. And uh, you started a phase two trial, as I said in the uh, the intro, uh, and I think it was in December which when you launched it, and and shortly after you uh, enrolled your first patient. Um, how how's the trial for uh, PHFPF uh, progressing so far this year? We're pretty excited about about our uh, results so far. We've we've got about ten of the leading academic institutions around the country that are uh, now investigating the, the drug. Um, we believe that we'll be able to complete the enrollment by uh, the end of the year with data readout in, in early 20 and obviously have it analyzed as, uh, as quickly as possible. Okay, and if I remember correctly, there are about 36, uh, 36 individuals are gonna be enrolled in the trial, is that right? It's a relatively short-term trial. It's a it's a six-week trial. Uh, Thirty-six patients equally distributed between placebo and, and active. Okay, and uh, how how is the trial designed? And, and then also, what are we trying to to measure to show that it works? So this trial is actually a state of the art in terms of not only what the academic community wants to see in trials like this, but but also in terms of the FDA. The FDA calls this precision medicine. What what we're doing is we're, we're actually measuring uh, hard hemodynamic endpoints. So we're measuring uh, arterial pressures in the pulmonary circulation. We're measuring wedge pressures. This is all very complicated, but uh, suffice it to say that these are specific hemodynamic endpoints that are much different than uh, things like quality of life, which is obviously important and one of the secondary endpoints in the trial or a patient's ability to walk six minutes or how long they could walk in a, in a, in a period of six minutes. Um, but uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a hard hemodynamic endpoint. Okay. Okay. And, and what are some of the, the, the indications or, or some of the history of the drug that makes you think that it'll work uh, well in this specific indication? Well, there are any number of preclinical and clinical studies that have been performed in a variety of ways in in different measures, measuring uh, patients' uh, heart class functionality, uh, measuring pulmonary vascular resistance. So there's there's an enormous amount of data that is in the in the literature. There's there's almost a thousand. Actually, I think there's more than a thousand clinical references to levosimendin in the PubMed the database. So mm-hmm. there's a, a, a very big volume of, uh, of data that to suggest that this unique mechanism of action and the symptomatology that these patients present with are kind of hand in glove. Okay. And, you know, I think we've been pretty technical in our discussion so far, and, and probably some of the, the viewers are wondering, uh, what is the difference between regular hypertension uh, which probably everybody is familiar with, and pulmonary hypertension, which may be a little bit less familiar to people who are watching. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's a, that's another great question. So, you know, hypertension is essentially a measure of uh, the the pl- the pressure in your system when you when you put a uh, a blood pressure cuff on. Pulmonary hypertension is is actually a measure of what's going on in the pulmonary arteries in between your heart. And your lung, so very different, uh, very di- different measures of cardiac activity. Mm-hmm. And and what I guess what are the symptoms? Uh, how do the symptoms differ between pulmonary hypertension and regular hypertension? 
Well, uh, one of the devastating things about hypertension is that in a lot of cases, uh, it's it, there are no symptoms. It's a very silent disease. In pulmonary hypertension, patients are fatigued very easily, sometimes without any exertion at all, uh, shortness of breath. There, there are you know very specific uh, indicators aside from when physicians actually start to do diagnostic procedures, you know, such as uh, echocardiography series or even more invasive series such as right heart catheterizations. Okay. And, you know, in, in part of the, uh, our work doing research on, on the disease, uh, it seems like there's no uh, real cure uh, for pulmonary hypertension for those with heart failure and, and preserved ejection fraction. Um, so what, um, you know, what, what, and there's there's actually also some fairly uh, fairly complicated procedures to test for it. Uh, can you explain how how the um, the test for evaluating whether or not it exists, how that how that is done? You know, you mentioned in the uh, for blood pressure, you put a cuff on, which is pretty easy, pretty non-invasive. But I think this is a little bit different when you're trying to measure pulmonary hypertension. It, it is so essentially a catheter is introduced through uh, the the juggler. Uh, the catheter is actually passed through the ventricles of the heart. It's, it's extended into the into the lungs, into the pulmonary arteries, and, and the blood pressure uh, that, that way. Uh, uh, you know, this this is it, it's it's a it's invasive, but it's also routine. Most patients with pulmonary hypertension of any kind, whether it's failure with preserved ejection fraction or uh, reduced ejection fraction, patients pretty routinely have right heart catheterization, so physicians can monitor their status. And I might add that in HEFPEF, which is what we're studying, the main here is that if we can reduce pressure uh, and relieve pressure in the on the left side of the heart, uh, what we what we're doing is we're reducing the backward flow or, or backward pressure into the right heart because when patients get into right heart failure, it becomes a much more serious condition uh, and mortality, you know, five-year mortality uh, goes up dramatically. So while this is not curative, uh, it treated early and aggressively, it will prevent significant mortality in the future. Okay. And you know, I, I think that uh, there are no approved therapies right now for the HEFPEF indication, uh, the HEFPEF part of pulmonary hypertension. I think there's some for some of the other groups out there. I think group one, there, there are a few drugs for that. Um, so so I, guess, I guess my question is, uh, you know, what, what are some of the other things that are currently used for that now and, and how effective are they? So... Most of the drugs that are approved, as you indicated, the World Health Organization segments pulmonary hypertension into five groups. Group one, which is the only group, it's the smallest group, but it's the only group where any of these drugs have been shown effective and approved by the FDA. By the way, uh, the smallest segment of the marketplace generated over $5 billion in sales in 2016. The group that we're pursuing, group two, is the largest group with over two, two and a half million patients. Uh, these patients are, are different and the drugs are different in as much as pulmonary arterial hypertension, which is group one, basically handled with a 
is a dilate. All you're really doing is opening the vessel to reduce the pressure in the vessels. In the case of group two, uh, the, 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 these, these patients do have elevated arterial pressures, but they also have uh, more complicated and, and more jargon, but they have elevated wedge pressures. Uh, and the levosimendin actually works on both sides of the equation, reducing wedge pressure and arterial pressure. None of the drugs that are approved for group one have been shown to be effective in group two. So clearly there's something else going on in these patients other than vasoconstriction. So again, all of this leads to our optimism that the unique mechanism of action and the symptoms that these patients present with are hand in glove and uh, provides for our optimism for our phase two trial. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was an important point you made about the the the, the three-way mechanism of action. It really addresses all the different different components there. Uh, you brought up another point that I wanted to expand on a little bit, which is the market size. Uh, you said two to two and a half million individuals, and that's that's a pretty large market. I, I think only a fraction of those individuals are actually uh, diagnosed, just because it's difficult to to take those measurements and there's and there's no no uh, direct treatment for it. Um, but my question is, uh, you know, how much do you think you can penetrate that two to two and a half million individuals uh, with, with the treatment? I mean, is, is there a specific subpopulation there that, that would uh, benefit uh, a lot more than another part of it uh, from, from Levisamendin? You know, that's unknown at this point in time. We've only just started to enroll patients uh, in our clinical trial. Right now, I would say that if there's any sort of demographic skew, the, 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 the group two patients do tend to be, um, they have cop comorbidity. So they're obese, uh, they have high body body mass index. Uh, it, 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 it does seem to be uh, a, a trend uh, that that su suggests that women uh, suffer from group two have uh, have disproportionately than men mm -hmm. uh, hyperlipidemia cardio uh, coronary artery disease um, it's it's the epidemiology here is 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 very difficult as you, as you described a lot of people simply think they're just old and out of breath or overweight and don't seek treatment uh, but again when you start with an n of you know, two and a half million patients, it obviously doesn't take a lot of patients that do present for treatment to, you know, wind up with a fairly significant commercial opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressive. So, so leave us a minute, as I mentioned before, it's, it's approved in Europe uh, for heart failure, I believe. And um, it's been used in millions of patients. I think it was approved in something like 1999 or 2000. So it's been almost almost 20 years when it's been available. And I, and I think it's been in used in from anywhere from one to two million people already. So we pretty much know the safety profile of the drug. Does that help, you think, does that help get it approved? Uh, you know, assuming your data shows that it's it shows that it has good efficacy. Do you, do you think that helps get it approved here when, when you finally go in front of the FDA? Yeah, there, there's no question about it. When you have a safety database that includes 1.5 million patients, as we do with levosimendin, that obviously is going to be very important when we ultimately uh, submit our new drug application to the FDA. But, you know, there are other aspects to, to that as well. For instance, we obviously know an enormous amount about the manufacturing of levosimendin. There are, you know, thousands of batch records, quality records, correspondence with various uh, regulatory um, 
agencies throughout the world. So there's no question that the database that exists, both in efficacy and safety, will be enormously uh, helpful to us once we get to the point of filing with the FDA. Okay. Well, that sounds that sounds very promising. So, so I guess at this point, I, I'm just wondering, you know, what kind of milestones we see going forward. I mean, 2020 is a big year. We should probably see some readout from the phase two trial. Uh, what else should we expect over the next over the next few years? Well, you know, obviously the most significant uh, milestone that we're looking at will be the re- will be the release of the of the phase two data, which we we do expect to be in the early part of 2020. I suspect that as we move through enrollment. Um, and we start to uh, get some preliminary look at the number of patients that respond to the drug. We do have a unique um, part of the entrance criteria or the way the, the, the way the clinical trial is enrolled. Only patients who fit the inclusion criteria symptomatically and respond to an initial treatment with levosimendin are eligible to to be randomized into the trial. So, mm-hmm. you know, my suspicion is when we get to 50% uh, of patients enrolled, you know, maybe we'll have some kind of an update uh, without creating any expectation uh, that might influence the clinical that might influence the clinical results from a um, from a equipose standpoint. Uh, but clearly, you know, over the next six to nine months, the the significant milestone or, or announcement will be uh, the publication of the final results. Okay. That's good news. And so um, anything else about levosimendin, uh, the trial or, or 10X that you think is important to, 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 to discuss? Well, I think we, you know, in, in the short amount of time we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground. I, I think the interesting thing about 10X is that we have a very unique product in a significantly underserved marketplace, uh, a short-term trial that's that's cost-effective, uh, that will provide meaningful uh, clinical and hopefully valuation results in a, in a short period of time. So uh, hopefully a differentiated story from a lot of different aspects. All right. Well, thank you, Tony. I uh, really appreciate your time here today telling us about Levosimendin and uh, PHFPEF. Uh, very educational. Uh, I also wanted to mention to the viewers that uh, Zach's Small Cap Research has a research report uh, discussing 10x therapeutics, and and we go into detail into the uh, the markets that they're uh, seeking to uh, get approval for. Uh, and uh, this is John Vandermosten, also with Zach's Small Cap Research, senior biotech analyst. Thank you for watching today.